It's Friday, July 31st. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, federal law enforcement say they'll start a phase drawdown in Portland. What does their presence say about the health of the First Amendment? Lawmakers grill the tech company heads. How might antitrust moves either hurt or hinder free expression online? And they're at it again. Reports that Russian intelligence has been spreading disinformation about COVID-19. What does that suggest for the election season ahead? We go through all that and more with our CEO, Suzanne Nossel, in our Friday Tough Questions segment. That's coming up here on The Pen Pod. Even with a new book out this week, Dare to Speak, Defending Free Speech for All, our CEO, Suzanne Nossel, joins me now to parse through some tough questions about free speech and free expression that bubbled up this week. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. Um, So Suzanne, on Wednesday, Congress hauled the major tech CEOs up to virtual Capitol Hill. Um, They were grilled on content moderation, HR practices, their role in spreading disinformation. You know, what kind of antitrust action could Congress take against the platforms? And does that worry you from a free expression point of view? Sure. Look, I think there are a number of novel theories that have been advanced about how you might take antitrust action against the platforms. They do not fit into traditional definitions of monopoly that date back to the days of Standard Oil. The ways in which they are anti-competitive don't meet those definitions. And so it's been necessary for experts to really kind of theorize about the how to describe the ways that these platforms are inimical to competition and to come up with new formulas and types of economic analysis that substantiate that. So it's kind of new territory that everybody is on, but it's moving ahead quickly. One of the striking things about the hearings was that there's so much more expertise now on Capitol Hill about these issues than there was even a couple of years ago when members of Congress you know, had to have Mark Zuckerberg explain to them you know, the, the very basics of Facebook's business model. I think those days are over and we have a set of members of Congress who have educated themselves and they've brought on sophisticated tech savvy staff who are helping them break all of this down. When it comes to free speech, you know, I, th- I see the antitrust issues as primarily separate. I don't think they're going to remedy the concerns we have about most forms of harm from online speech, things like disinformation, cyberbullying, online harassment, the spread of terrorist propaganda, you know, hateful and noxious speech online. I don't think breaking up the platforms is going to do much about any of that. I think it's going to separate out, you know, if it happens, the different types of businesses that these companies are running and uh, dictate that those be operated separately and have less ability to feed into one another and that each one will be able to compete uh, on its own terms in a particular segment rather than this, you know, incredible integration that they have achieved, you know, I think where it could be a positive for free speech is, you know, if you had more sets of rules for content moderation that were out there in the marketplace, and you could choose between a platform that is very uh, active in policing hate speech, for example, and one that's much more permissive. So, you know, depending on what kind of environment you want to be in, if you 
want to, you know, read and see and hear everything, maybe there's a place you could do that if you want something that is going to be much more civilized, you know, having a choice that would afford you that. So, yeah, that's a possible, positive effect that could emerge from a more decentralized marketplace for online speech. I, you know, I don't think it's a guarantee, you know, to believe that would come to, into place. You'd have to think that, you know, there'll really be a, a much larger set of platforms and that audiences and users will distribute across them. I think one of the things that's so powerful about the platforms makes them compelling is that sort of there's a critical mass of people there. And so is that ever going to change, even if there are more alternatives in the marketplace? Are people going to spread out, you know, to date, some of the attempts to drive people off Facebook and Twitter to different platforms haven't really panned out. So I don't think there are any guarantees here in terms of the impact on free speech. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as we're recording this, Suzanne, um, federal law enforcement officials have agreed to at least um, a phased withdrawal from Portland, Oregon, following intensive standoffs and violence with mostly peaceful demonstrators in that city. You know, does it give you some hope that the administration is is bucking to pressure, um, particularly as this has just been seen universally uh, or nearly universally as a direct threat to the First Amendment? Well, yes and no. I'd say at one level, it's kind of heartening that courts and some former military officials and higher cabinet level officers have spoken out so forcefully against what has gone on in terms of unmarked cars and unidentified federal personnel rounding up demonstrators on the streets of Portland. So I think the outcry has been extremely important, uh, but I don't think there are any guarantees here. You know, we have a president that seems pretty desperate to cling on to power. He talked uh, this week about potentially postponing the election. So I think uh, we absolutely cannot let our guard down. And, you know, there is, we're in, un, again, sort of uncharted territory in terms of, you know, a president who is willing to flout the First Amendment, uh, is willing to do things that damage the U.S.'s reputation around the world, is willing to antagonize uh, uh, city and state officials. So, you know, I, I, it gives me a little bit of comfort, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that really struck me, Suzanne, is that the day of your book launch, you were in conversation with Wajahat Ali. And, and you know, as a as a as a someone who's been on the international stage as a state department official in particular that, you know, the, 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 something about those unmarked vehicles in particular struck a chord with you. Yeah, because it was imagery that I am used to seeing uh, around the world, you know, sort of this terrifying use of brute force, um, you know, more recently in context, you know, what it makes me think of is some of the scenes from Wuhan, China, where people were dragged from their homes to be put under quarantine and you know they were kicking and screaming and it was sort of you know this is what uh this type of authoritarian society is able to do to its own people and you know seeing some just kind of similar looking uh you know really strong arm tactics against individuals and you know one of the eeriest things i think is the silence of these federal officers crowds are sort of begging them to identify themselves or explain what the individual they're apprehending has done wrong, and they're just stone-faced. And there's no sense that, you know, there's a dialogue between law enforcement and the community that they serve. And of course, these uh, officials are 
from federal agencies. The, you know, they're not local police. They don't have any connective tissue with these local communities. And it's fearsome. And, you know, they're not military, but they, in some cases, are wearing fatigues uh, or other garments that, you know, make you think there are soldiers in American streets. And that's something that we are used to seeing in, you know, Iran and Hong Kong and Beijing, but not here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just makes you think ahead to the election, which is where I want to go last here, um, because both the Associated Press and the New York Times this week reported that Russian intelligence services are spreading disinformation about COVID-19. Um, meanwhile, the president's son has his Twitter account suspended for posting a video spreading mistruths about the virus. Um, how are Americans meant to tell fact from fiction right now, especially as we head into what could be a very contentious election season? Well, it's really precarious, and that's why at PEN America we're devoting so much energy to fighting against disinformation and putting out primers that help people identify it, help them avoid becoming a vector for its spread. We're working on how we can elucidate aspects of the election that are going to be different this time around and let people know what to expect so that when things seem a little off or not what they're used to, they don't immediately turn to conspiracy theories. But this, you know, what, you know, one of the most serious problems is that you have an administration that has never taken the threat of foreign disinformation seriously. President Trump has taken the approach since he first entered office that giving any credence to the idea of Russian election interference would have undercut his victory back in 2016. And so we have not mobilized our intelligence agencies and our infrastructure, our private sector in the kind of concerted effort that I think is necessary to safeguard our democracy. And so we remain very vulnerable. And it's pretty terrifying uh, to have the federal government sort of uh, asleep at the switch when it comes to such a direct threat to our democracy. And that really leaves the job to civil society organizations, media organizations to expose this, to contextualize disinformation when they come across it, to individual citizens to be disciplined and, and, and scrutinous of what they are seeing and reading and to try to inoculate themselves against disinformation. And, you know, things are moving very quickly and the purveyors of disinformation are becoming ever more sophisticated. You know, they hone in on really narrow communities in order to try to achieve a desired result. And, and their tactics may not really see the light of day until after the election, if ever. So, it, it, you know, it's a worrisome scenario, no question. Yeah, well, Suzanne's new book is Dare to Speak, Defending Free Speech for All. You can find links to buy it on our website and RSVP for her virtual book tour events. That's all at pen.org slash dare to speak. Thank you, Suzanne. Thanks so much, Stephen. And that's our episode for Friday, July 31st. Join us next week for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you Monday. Mm-hmm.